Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Friday game preview. Buckeye talk. It's Ohio State, Michigan State on Saturday in East Lansing. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We will all be there, which means you'll hear us on the post game pod. You'll be reading us at cleveland.com slash OSU after that game. We're going to dive right into this matchup, Nathan Baird. And the thing that Michigan State was terrible at last year, they're still terrible at. They might even be worse. Their pass defense was such an area of, uh, of terribleosity a year ago. And they went out and they got a couple guys in the transfer portal. They got a couple guys back from injury. I think they felt better about it. And Mel Tucker early this season is saying, like, it's it's my fault. It's worse than ever. I'm a terrible coach. They have this defensive coordinator, Scotty Hazelton, who's under fire. Feels like his job might be on the line. They have not stopped anybody real. The last three weeks, they've allowed 503, 508, and 489 passing yards. Against three solid quarterbacks and Michael Penix from Washington, Tanner Morgan from Minnesota, and Talia Tonga-Vailoa from Maryland, those guys are pretty, pretty good. But they can't stop them. I have no idea how they're going to stop C.J. Stroud and Emeka Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Cade Stover and maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's the same story, Nathan. It did not get fixed, and it feels like it might be a field day for the Ohio State passing game think it very well could be. I mean, it's a offense or sorry, defense that they're ranked 95th right now in the country in yards allowed per attempt at 7.7. They've allowed eight touchdowns without picking off any quarterbacks there. So the efficiency rating against them is 105th in the nation. It's, it's a bad pass defense and it's clearly caused Mel Tucker some consternation that they got two years into this, you know, think of it from Ohio state's perspective, and and the the change up that they made early last year when the defense wasn't fixed and I don't know that Michigan State maybe um, it's not quite the same level of urgency because they're kind of you know building something here and fixing on the fly even though they did come off a successful year last year I don't know that the the stakes weren't maybe quite as high as what Ryan Day had to do last year to try to get that team back in a playoff situation but 
it's it's clearly the thing that's that's hanging there and preventing Michigan State from being better. Because this offense, while it has some problems too, especially in the run game, definitely has some talented guys. The thing we need to mention for Michigan State is they had a, a safety named Xavier Henderson, uh, who was probably their best defensive back and like arguably their best defensive player or one of them. And he has been injured. He got injured in the season opener and hasn't played since. And that's a guy who, especially against the caliber of play teams that you're talking about, makes some difference. It doesn't fix the defense, but it would make them at least more solid than what they've shown these last four weeks. It's not even just the yards. It's the efficient way the teams have picked them apart. You know, Maryland was 78%. Minnesota was 88.5%. And so now you're plopping in a quarterback who can do both of those things. He can pile up the yards, but then typically he does so in an efficient manner, just as we saw 12 months ago. I, I popped in like the 25-minute highlight, excuse me, highlight cut of Michigan State-Minnesota from a couple weeks ago, and Tanner Morgan was slicing them yeah. apart. A lot of RPO stuff, but again, Tanner Morgan was 23 of 26 for 268, 10.3 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no interceptions. That's Tanner Morgan, right? That's like, what is C.J. Stroud going to do? Well, we know what C.J. Stroud's going to do, Stephen. We saw the best, is that still where we are with this? The best that we have ever, well, maybe Utah. The best that we have ever seen no, this is- C.J. Stroud play was against Michigan State in the first half last year, and that's kind of a comforting thing for CJ now going against him again, right? Is that still our standard of CJ Stroud? Yeah, I would still take the Michigan State game over the Utah because a lot of that is because the defense gave them no help whatsoever. Ohio State's offense killed Michigan St- State's defense and offense just because yeah. not only was CJ Stroud picking them apart, but like everybody was eating. It wasn't just the Jackson Smith the Jigba show. Like Chris Olave had a hundred. Uh, receiving yards. Garrett, Garrett Wilson had 100 receiving yards. Uh, I mean, they ran a screen pass for Jeremy Rucker in that game. They were just basically t- trying everything. So I'm under the, imp- the impression that we'll get something similar to that this year when he's a second-year starting quarterback. And even if he doesn't have any of those three weapons, if Jackson Smith and Jigba doesn't play, Marvin Harrison, Emeka Abuka, Julian Fleming, Cade Stover have showed us enough that they can make up for that in plenty against a passing defense like this. You know, again, a lot of discussion the last four or five days of, hey, Ohio State scored touchdowns on seven of its nine possessions against Rutgers. That's really efficient. Yes, they took the pass away, you know, whatever. Is it clunky or not? They still scored a bunch of points, Nathan. Not that it's certainly not like a get well game for CJ Stroud, but this could be the exact pass defense. Just, just sort of remind, I don't know that CJ needs a reminder, but bombs away from CJ Stroud against this pass defense could be. Uh, a thing that is would be coming at the right time for Ohio State. Yeah, I think this is also a big game for the offensive line because if I'm Michigan State and I know what I've got in the secondary, my only chance to compete in this game is to kind of bring the house at C.J. Stroud. And I know that he's shown that he can win that way and sometimes you're playing into his hand that way, but I think you've got to move the picture that he's looking at, you've got to change that. You've got to put pressure in his face. So this offensive line has held up pretty well. I was I was texting uh, or tweeting with someone today about it, and I think I texted about it too, that the sack rate last year was actually not that bad, all things considered. I know the Michigan game as kind of like a cap on the end threw things off, but you look at the football outsiders numbers, their sack rate last year wasn't that bad, but it's even better this year. It was like 2.8% last year. It's like 1.7. So like every 100 dropbacks, he gets sacked less than two times. That's not a bad ratio. That's just one of the best ratios in the country. So 
I would still, if I'm Michigan State, I'm not just going to sit back and I think dropping back doesn't doesn't get you anywhere. You've got to stay on the aggressive. So this offensive line probably should be prepared because some of the Michigan State's best defensive players who aren't hurt are still up front. You're saying dropping back doesn't get you anywhere. That's what pe- that's what we talk about all season, right? Is people are dropping back, right? Trying to drop eight and say, "Hey, okay." But I guess are you well, saying you, you don't scores. think it'll? You don't think it'll get them 52, 49. Like it's not, it's not working. I I think it, well, uh, it's working in terms of like, it's keeping CJ from throwing 400 yards every week. But part of that is you've got to have the personnel. Yeah. It really is a struggle. Like, so what? It's still points. points. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you got to have the personnel to be able to drop eight and still, but if you're dropping eight and guys are still getting beat, what are you dropping eight? Yeah. And that's what it is with Michigan State. It's like, okay, cool. We've got eight people back there, but like Ameka Buka is still six yards open. I guess I am the, curious because like against like, like a bad pass defense, what will they do? Mm-hmm. Right? That I mean, we're gathering information. What's the strategy against CJ Stroud? I do think Nathan that they're so bad at this. Which way will they lean? I do still think is interesting how they they can't stop them, but how do they try? I think will be a little bit informative. Yeah, the devil's advocate for what I was saying before, though, would be, so Michigan State got this defensive end from UNLV named Jacoby Windman, who had like four sacks in the season opener and is leading the nation and fumbles forced. They got a guy named Jacob Slade on the uh, one of the better defensive tackles in the Big Ten. And I guess the devil's advocate would be maybe this is the team that can drop seven because it actually thinks its guys up front could win. If, if those guys up front can win more often and you're dropping seven, maybe that actually is the, the way that that would work. Because if you're dropping seven but nobody's winning up front, I, I, what what does that get you against Ohio State? It gets, it's, it's nothing. You're not moving C.J. Stroud. Your guys are running past you in the run game because of what this offensive line is opening up right now. Um, it, it's, it's maybe a slower way to get them to 50 points a week, but it's they're still getting 50 points a week. Where do we think, Stephen, this Ohio State pass game is, right? I, Ryan Day was talking this week about, you know, so, someone said how much of your offense is, how many plays do you have for Jackson Smith and Jigba? He said a lot. But then that leads you down the road of, well, you know, we've had to do this without him. So mm-hmm. then, you know, we're we're learning about everybody else from Marvin Harrison Jr. to Cade Stover and everybody in between. Uh, do you feel, where would you say this this passing offense is right now in very good shape in good shape couple questions what do you think i think it's in good shape trending towards very good shape because it's looked good without its best weapon but the problem i think it's less about the fact that he's their best weapon he's the guy you can get the most creative with and so it's just been a lot of like hey when your matchups you know find soft spots and it's just simple like stuff like keeping the day says like keeping the routine stuff routine well, when you have Jackson Smith the Jigba out there with the experience he has, but also just the weapon he is, you can get a little creative. We can get the juices flowing a little bit. And we saw a little bit of that against Notre Dame before he got hurt that they were trying that stuff. So when that type of question, it's like how many plays are for Jackson? It's really, hey, how creative can you get when Jackson Smith the Jigba is in the lineup? Very creative. He got They got asked questions about that back in the spring. That's been taken off of the table, so we haven't really got to see the – full open playbook of Ryan Day's play call and ability this year because it's had to be so simple because no matter how good a Mecca and Marvin are, they aren't Jackson Smith the Jigba. I mean, the passing attack as a whole is still crazy efficient right now. They're, yeah. uh, Stroud is, I think, third in the country 
uh, among Power Fives backs, I think it's third overall in yards per attempt. He's second in pass efficiency rating, and the guy ahead of him in both those categories, one of the guys ahead of him is Max Dugan from T- TCU, who's attempted like 40 less passes. So I, I would still say it's very good. Whatever the top thing you're saying, Ohio State's passing game, I'm, I don't think it's a problem. Amekak Buka, 30 catches for 512, 17.1 uh, average. Five touchdowns. Marvin Harrison Jr., 24 for 405, 16.9-yard average, six touchdowns. Cade Stover, 13 catches for 200, 15.4-yard average, which is really good for a tight end, two touchdowns. (laughs) Julian Fleming, 11 catches for 141, 12.8-yard average, four touchdowns. Those are the four leading guys. Jaden Ballard getting some uh, sort of garbage time reps there. So, again, this could just be uh, a reminder it could be a chance for CJ to flex a little bit. I I don't know how they're going to really slow him down at all. Nathan, what would you think our expectation is on Jackson Smith and Jigba based on what players said Wednesday night, based on what Ryan Day said on his radio show Thursday afternoon, or in his lightning round interview on Thursday as well? It's a good question. I, I texted when as I was texting out the what he was saying today or Wednesday during Thursday, sorry, during the radio show that it sounded less optimistic to me what he was saying about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Now, we did see him at practice, you know, coming off the practice field to do stretching. So we think he participated in some way um, on Wednesday, but we don't get to see practice. So we're just kind of going by, you know, body language and, and where guys are standing, walking to. But the way he said it today, I'm trying to find the exact quote. It was something along the lines of, it just sounded less optimistic, but not necessarily pessimistic, if that makes sense. So I don't know. We'll see. I And, and with, with the nature of his injury, things could change when they get up there on Saturday afternoon and he starts warming up. So I would say just get the text, 614-350-3315. We'll tell you what we see. Are you a firm, I don't know, Stephen, or are you leaning one way or the other about whether Jackson plays? Yeah, I'm a firm. I don't know. If I had to, if you had to force me to pick one way, I'd say no, just because, like, why not give him an extra yeah. two weeks to rest? But like I, Nathan just said, he, we could get to Saturday and he's all good to go and then just put him out there. So, yeah, I will say last week I was very much like, there ain't no way this guy's playing till after the bye. And now I'm more like, oh, I guess I could see it like maybe they get him back they think if he can play you get him back and then you still have the whole extra week off to rest and come back but I'm still skeptical they're gonna win this game without him and I like why not be 100% sure okay we'll get to the the opposite matchup here I do just want to drop a little uh statistical stuff on you Ohio State's won eight straight in East Lansing I, I just never thought it was a tough place for Ohio State to go play. Uh, last time Ohio State lost at Michigan State was in 1999. They have had two close calls there that everybody remembers, 2012, 17-16. You know, that's they're, they're doing the toast or whatever. That was like the sort of the fuel of that 12-0 undefeated season. Urban Meyer made a big deal about that game. I can remember Andy Staples. I think he was a Sports Illustrated at that time covering that game. And we were talking after that game. And he said, they're going undefeated. That they won, like they got through this, they're going undefeated. And I was like, what? I was like, they, it's like 17-16 Michigan State, and they went undefeated. So again, like there's another thing where I was wrong. So that was a close one. Um, that was not a good Michigan State team in 2012. That team wound up 7-6. and six. And then 2016, it's close again. That's a really bad year. Michigan State's 3-9 and nine that year. 
in 2016. It's another 17-16 game. So it's some there has been some weirdness there. Again, as Ohio State has won eight straight, but I think the thing that unites 2012 and 2016 is that the offense had some questions, right? That was like, well, you know, I don't know. And, and so I don't I don't see this offense going up there and having any trouble. Nathan, I do see the Michigan State offense having trouble. I said a lot this offseason. I don't know. Peyton Thorne, maybe he's the second best quarterback in the Big Ten. You know, like Jaden Reed, maybe he's as good as any any receiver in, in the, the conference who's not from Ohio State. And neither of those things has has played out so far. Peyton Thorne has been bad. And a lot of it is when you read about their struggles, it's they can't run it early, and then they wind up putting on a putting it on Peyton Thorne, and he can't handle it. That he looked good last year as a compliment to Kenneth Walker the third. They brought in the two transfer running backs. They were good against the two lousy Mac opponents early. They've been they have not run the ball at all since then. And Michigan State, if they get down early, which I they're going to in this. They can't, they, and they're forced to throw. They can't do it. So this this offense is almost as much of a mess as the defense is. I really think this passing game, this Michigan State passing attack, is missing Kenneth Walker more than the run game. Well, not more than the run game because obviously he's a running back. But do you see what I'm saying? Like I, the balance that you had to try to contain last year for Michigan State, like Thorne could play off of Walker, who brought a really high baseline into every game. Until I know Haskell Garrett meets him in the backfield and and CJ Stroud's throwing bombs and all of a sudden they can't run the ball against Ohio State. But most games, including when they beat Michigan, like you really had to account for Kenneth Walker so much that it allowed Peyton Thorne to do some things. And now, you know, Jalen Berger is okay. They've got another running back who's okay, but those guys aren't feared as much. You look at their offensive line metrics. I've been texting to our subscribers a little bit about some of the football outsiders metrics that just come out and Michigan States are not good up front on the offensive line, both just in terms of uh, standard downs, but also especially when you get into short yardage situations, they're not moving the sticks uh, third and fourth down and short. Uh, that's a place where I think Ohio State can can, can flip a game uh, pretty quickly early on. So you're right. I, I do think, I mean, talent-wise, relative to the rest of the Big Ten, Thorne and Jaden Reed, Keon Coleman, like it's not they're not bad. Uh, but the whole package as an offense just isn't clicking enough right now to really threaten Ohio State. I think, Stephen, it almost feels like their last three games against Washington and Michael Penix, against Tanner Morgan in Minnesota, against Talia Tonga-Vailoa in Maryland, have been mini versions of the Ohio State game last year, which yeah. is like you get down, you can't run it, now you have to throw it, and it's over before it's like you're dead right off the bat, and now you're getting the real deal again. But th this, there's too much of a, of a strain on this passing offense, and it hasn't held up. Reed has been a little banged up, which certainly has affected them. They missed Jalen Naylor. That last year they had two guys like that. But Reed is back playing now. He played last week and you know was kind of normal. But it's just it's too much of a load for them, Stephen, to try to, to try to throw to win. Yeah, because it's – you can't play keep up with Ohio State. And – Ever since that Michigan State-Ohio State game, it feels like any team who has a competent passing attack is forcing Michigan State to keep up with their competent passing attack, and Michigan State can't do it because it's not their game plan to come out here and throw it 30-plus times. There was one play in particular when I was just running through that Michigan State-Minnesota game. They were down 17 nothing early. They had a third and 10 in the first half, Michigan State did. 
they kept their running back into block, so they were blocking with six guys. Minnesota only brought three. So they were blocking three with six, and Peyton Thorne felt pressure that wasn't there and took a quick out to a double-covered outside receiver for a three-yard gain on third and 10 in a game where they were down 17 nothing, And it was like, that is a broken team. They're like, they have to push the, and, and it's just like that. If that, if there, if that's what this is on Saturday, it, it, it might be 68 to negative four. Like I, it, it, this could be, this could be an unbelievable blowout, Nathan. And again, I was going to through, I was going to say, Hey, let's do the best quarterbacks in the big time, but we can save that. But again, I thought maybe it would have been Peyton Thorne because you kind of had this clump of guys behind C.J. Stroud coming into this offseason. Tanner Morgan's been better at Minnesota. J.J. McCarthy's been better at Michigan. Tonga Bailoa's been better at Maryland. Um, Sean Clifford's kind of been the Sean Clifford you want him to be at Penn State. Tommy DeVito at Illinois has been better. Aiden O'Connell hasn't been great. He's still probably been better than Peyton Thorne. Like, it's just, it is it is not happening at all. Their last two games, 18 possessions, nine punts, Two twice they lost it on downs, two turnovers, three touchdowns, and two field goal tries. Like they're just they get they get down. Even last week against Maryland, they were in it. Nathan, it was 21-13 at the half. Their five possessions in the second half of a game where they were within one score at halftime, punt, 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 lose it on downs. Like even that was, and against Minnesota. They they open. They only had four possessions in the first half against Minnesota. Punt, punt, lose it on downs. Punt, and then he got in a hole that it was over. But like, however you slice it, Nathan, it's not good enough. And the running backs, Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard, two transfers. The two MAC games to start the year. The first one they combined twenty six carries, one seventy four. The next one thirty two carries, one eighty eight. Combined rushing attack, right? Hey, we got two transfers to replace Kenneth Walker Jr., who was one of the great transfers of this era. The last three games against real competition, 17 carries for 30 yards against Washington, 10 carries for 40 yards against Minnesota, 12 carries for 50 yards against Maryland. So it's not productive, Nathan, but the whole point is they're not even handing it to those guys because they're in such a hole that they can't even, like the run game doesn't work, then they abandon it. The last three games... They they tr- they ran it 29 times against Washington, threw it 42. They ran it 14 times against Minnesota, threw it 31. They ran it 22 times against Maryland, threw it 44. Their first two games against the MAC teams, they ran it more than they threw it. So they have. To, I think Nathan, their only chance for Michigan State is to run it early effectively, and it doesn't feel like you can do that against that the Ohio State defense right now. Maybe Blake Corum will be able to, but not these guys. I also wonder if this would be the kind of game where if Ohio State wins the toss, if it takes yeah. the ball. Like they, you, you've the last two times you played this team, and especially last year, leaving I'm certain a bad taste in Michigan State's mouth, just the way that that route went, and, and it became just an it it crossed into an embarrassment. And if that's in the back of their heads, can you kind of win the mental game if you come out and march down and score first and now their backs are against the wall, knowing that they have to keep up from that point? Don't give them some of the opportunities that other teams have had. Like when you gave Rutgers a 7 nothing lead, when some of these other teams got some points early, uh, can you go out and just make a statement early? I, I wonder if, if Day would make that call. Yeah, I was going to make that point because he's they've started doing it. They've won it two of the last three weeks and they took it. The Rutgers won last week, which is why Rutgers took the ball first. But – 
I think that's a, that's a philosophy at this point. It's like we know our offense is going to score, and especially with Michigan State this week, if you're already down seven to nothing, even if that's not a big deal, given what Michigan State's had to deal with, whether it was Ohio State last year or even this year, that's a lot of pressure because you can't afford to have a three and out or have a a, a pointless drive, and now you're down fourteen to nothing before you get the ball back. I think it's a prudent decision too, because in a game where you can, you can in college you can game the clock a little bit more with the clock stopping for first downs and stuff. If you can steal that last half a possession before halftime and turn mm-hmm. it into a field goal or something like that, you know what I mean? Just get get a little bit more on top. Like, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to be doing this. I normally would advocate for taking the you know getting the ball first out of halftime, but I think it makes sense with what Ohio State's got right now. There are you know. Mel Tucker was a good hire. We talked about Mel Tucker when we did the the roundtable spin the roulette wheel with Big Ten coaches on the Thursday podcast. But, you know, they've been saying, like, this is this does not look like a well-coached team right now. Because even defensively, part of their issues, they're blowing coverages. There's missed assignments. There's bad communication. You know, it's not just that they're only losing 50-50 balls or that they're not talented enough. Again, the defensive coordinator, I think, is on the chopping block. So then that that does sometimes make me wonder, and you can do this – you can do this almost any week, but I think it, you know, it does change depending on your respect for the opposition, Nathan. The idea that they could look terrible. They've been bad. They've been awful the last three games against real competition. Like Mel Tucker rallies the troops. They they stop blowing assignments. They get the best version of themselves. Not that they can win, but we'll get to our picks later in the show. But I do wonder, Nathan, is this would this be an opportunity that they're playing like a poorly coached team, but I actually think Mel Tucker's good. Could he pull something out of them that we see a flash? I don't know. Last, I guess here's my point, Nathan. Last year, we did not get a read on the typical Michigan State team of that season. They were good all year. They were horrible against Ohio State. You look at an, a Michigan State team under D'Antonio that in 2016 went 3-9 and nine and played a 17-16 game with Ohio State. Could we get the reverse this year, Nathan? That this year Michigan State is bad, but on this Saturday you get the best version of them because they've been in the toilet and they somehow find something that they do run it effectively early. They stop blowing coverages and it's not 68-4. to negative four. So last year's Michigan State team was better than the one Ohio State played in 2020. And Ohio State flattened last year's team even worse. Like that first half last year from Ohio State was the peak of what we've seen from this offense, I would argue, in two seasons. Like I I agree with what Steven was saying before. Like that's as tuned up as this thing has looked. And I know that Michigan State wasn't good in the secondary, but still, like it was just so automatic. And I think expecting that to happen again is maybe a reach to happen to that extent. Um, and I also, and this is probably the thing that would make our, our buddy Tishu cringe. Like as I was kind of come formulating a prediction for this game, I did leave a little room for like just pride kicking in for Michigan state here to have gotten so thoroughly embarrassed last year to have been getting pushed around in a few weeks now and to see this as kind of a, a if they think this is trending towards you know a non-bowl season and this is a game they can't win but is it a game that they can make a stand and, and and make a just hold their ground a little bit and does that kick in and make this game not close by any means but prevent it from being like a runaway like last year all right we'll take a quick break 
When we come back, we want to talk about some of the interesting things that Ohio State players said on Wednesday night. And then at the end, we've got to make picks. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, and Steven, these guys are firing off texts out of the interviews on Wednesday night. It's one of my favorite things. I typically don't make those, but I love getting the quick updates of like kind of what the vibe is of the team. Steven, what's the, mo- what's the number one most interesting conversation, most interesting thing you learned from the player interviews this week? Kind of a 1A and a 1B. The first one is Marvin Harrison did confirm that he was told to take off his shoes. Um, he told me that over on the side. He didn't want to talk about it publicly, which is also meant to you're not allowed to also talk about the Louis Vuitton shoes publicly as well, which I thought was funny. Um, but the more interesting thing is this idea that, and it's going to sound ridiculously nuts, this idea that Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones, that tackle tandem, is the best tandem we've seen at Ohio State since 1994 when Orlando Pace was a true freshman and Corey Stringer was an All-American. And when you first hear it, it's like, no, we're not going there. We're not going there. I don't even know why we keep asking Paris Johnson Orlando Pace questions. But when you really think about the question of, one, the production, this is not saying that the individual talents were ever going to be as good as what Orlando Pace is or even what Corey Stringer is, you know, rest his soul. But the idea of Ohio State might have two first-round tackles who – haven't given up a sack, and I was looking it up. According to PFF, they've only given up five pressures, and Dewan Jones got some false start penalties as well, so he's got to clean that up as well. But Paris Johnson has been elite. Dewan Jones is trending towards first-rounder, and there's only been one other first-round tackle since Stringer and Orlando Pace, and that was Taylor Decker. So if the idea of them having two first-rounders puts that in that category, even if the individual talents aren't as good as the individual talents that they were in 94 – Together, they can be just as impactful as Pace and Stringer were, especially since Pace was a true freshman in '94. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting way to think of it because there certainly have been times when they've had a great left tackle, but then you know they've also had very good teams where they're sort of patching it together at right yeah. tackle with a, a one-year starter as a senior who you know whether it's Chase Ferris or Daryl Baldwin and guys who played great but were not elite elite talents like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Nathan was it you who texted this out from the radio show that Ryan Day was just talking about the way that Dewan Jones is moving this year. That again, it's just the the battle of getting his body to the best that Dewan Jones's body can be. It feels like they feel even better about that this year than they did last year, and they're seeing that on the field. Yeah, I mean Dewan Jones got smacked in the face with it a little bit, both by the Michigan result and also by the feedback he got from the NFL that they said you've got to enhance the things you're good at and you've got to cut out some of these things you're bad at. And some of the things he was bad at was being fatter than he's supposed to be, even for the size that he is. So he dropped some weight and Ryan Day says there is a direct correlation between what you're seeing now, lateral movement, footwork, and just just being better in, in, in a lot of facets that, that – that Dewan Jones is doing right now. So that's all according to plan. That's just a guy getting feedback and, and processing it and then putting a plan in place, working it and, and being who he is right now. Yeah. I I really do love this idea because it's such two sides of the coin. One is the ultimate five-star in-state guy that has been projected to be a star left tackle at Ohio State since he was nine years old, baby. And the other is the out-of-nowhere, diamond-in-the-rough, developmental, great physical attributes, but is he going to get there? And you hit them both at the same time. And again, it is one of those things, whenever we talk about the future at Ohio State, and you say, 
well, they're always going to have a good quarterback and they're always going to have good receivers. And if Jim Knowles gets this defense in line, I think the idea, Stephen, of, and we like having fun with it. Oh, what are they going to be in 23 and 24 and 25? And it's not even that we look at the future and say, man, I don't know who the starting tackles are going to be. But even just like, when would they be this good? And how two great tackles can really solidify everything you're doing on offense. It's not that just that it might be a problem down the road, which we've talked about a lot. It's worth noting in the moment right here, this may be incredibly elite, not just good, but as good as it's been in 30 years. And I don't think that's a stretch to say what you were saying. It puts a lot more pressure on the future because it is kind of, it's not just that you're dropping off in terms of options. You're dropping off in terms of like, it's not it's 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 almost like going from having like Chase Young and Nick Bosa to Javante Jean Baptiste and Tyler Friday or your starting defensive ends. You know, with all due respect to their talents, yeah. they well. aren't Yeah. They aren't genera- they're not they're not Chase Young and Nick Bosa, quite well, frankly. I, all right. So yeah. Even even dropping down to Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith is a is a drop yes, from that. Even, yeah, even from that, that elite like, level. And I know I was gonna bring that up that like anybody who was holding out hope that something would happen this year that would keep either um, Paris Johnson Jr. or Dewan Jones in the mix for tackle spots in 2023, that ship is rapidly pulling away from the dock. Because Dewan Jones weighs less. It can move faster. Yeah, I was going to say, that ship, that's a sturdy ship. Uh, all right, Nathan, what's the most interesting conversation thing you learned from players this week? Well, I mean, the most interesting conversation was Luke Whipler going off on Desmond Howard. I don't know how much of this we want to delve into about that. No, it doesn't I mean, necessarily... I don't, people might not have heard about it. Go ahead. Uh, so I was asking Luke Whipler some questions about Justin Fry. And, you know, he mentioned something about the team having a chip on its shoulder. And I said, I asked him, well, so you guys are, are getting to know him when he comes in. Did you need to see Justin Fry come in with his own kind of sense of urgency about how how you needed to raise the level in here. And he said something along the lines of like, uh, well, anybody could have read those headlines. Like, you know, I still think about that. What was said at the Heisman trophy ceremony once a day, he actually said once a year, you misspoke. He later clarified. He meant once a day. So like once a day, he thinks about when Desmond Howard says uh, better than your offensive line uh, to CJ Stroud up on the Heisman stage. And I pulled him off to the side later. I was like, were you saying that like Justin Fry was using that to motivate you guys? Like, no, that was just, that was all me. And I I hadn't really considered this from the offensive line perspective before. Like people in general, I think thought that that was, and listen, I actually kind of like trash talking and, and stuff like that. If it's done in a clever way, but I, I thought at the time everyone felt like that was a little bit uncalled for just because you're like pantsing the guy, basically like he has no chance to respond. You're just, you and, and, and when you look at it from an offensive lineman's eyes, your whole life right now, the whole time you're at Ohio state, everything is about protecting the quarterback. Look at that play that happened on the sideline against Rutgers last week, late in the game. Stroud's almost out of the game. There's a play over on Rutgers sideline where they thought the contact happened a little too late. And all of a sudden like Whipler's right there in the defender's face. Somebody else is coming in and they're like, Hey, like, and, and putting the buffer between themselves and CJ Stroud, who was fine. And, but I, in the moment talking to him, it kind of dawned on me like, Oh, like you saw your quarterback, like vulnerable 
and helpless, and you saw your quarterback get sacked. Like, and there was nothing you could do about it. And he was like, yeah, it's exactly what it felt like. And, and, uh, he had the, the great quote about like, well, if I had, cause he's a Jersey guy. And like, if I had been there, I would have handled things a little bit differently. And I guess Desmond Howard can wonder what that means. Uh, <laughs> what sort of, uh, uncle, uncle Tony or whoever Luke Whippler knows back in Jersey that he could have called uh, to help out or something. <laughs> but, um, but I, it, it's, you know, you talked, uh, what was it back in the spring where there was the Luke Whippler was telling the story about being in the lunchroom or whatever. And the Michigan game was on the TV yeah. just happened to be on big 10 network and how he was just like spitting nails, like all mad about that. And he said that he on his own, like goes and seeks out that Heisman clip to piss himself off when he feels like he needs to get pissed off or just feels like he needs a little motivation to get into the weight room or, or whatever. And he's a, externally motivated guy in some ways and he's seized on that for whatever reason so uh, but, but his ultimate that. his ultimate point was it, it, it all it all traced back to something i texted out to the subscribers yesterday or actually i guess it was maybe this morning about again those p the football outsiders numbers they updated their offensive defensive line numbers and the offensive line numbers are better in some important ways the the short yardage third fourth down execution has gotten a lot better the uh, just standard push that they're getting from those metrics is better and they're seeing better offensive line play they 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 feel some validation to how they're playing this year and his ultimate point was i can't wait for stroud to go back to the heisman thing and now what's desmond howard gonna say about our offensive line because the offensive line is one of the reasons why this team is succeeding the way it is they have another word for how they describe people like Luke Butler. It's called psychotic. I don't I, know if I'm telling psychotic, you, man. But, but listen, I was just so we thought, right? I think when you two years ago and we were doing things, if we were to project it, you projected Harry Miller as the long-term five-star starting center for the Ohio State Buckeyes, and you know that you knew that Luke Whipler was a top 100 national recruit, but you didn't know exactly where he fit in. Luke Whipler has become a primary dude of this yes. era. And he is a secret maniac. Like this idea that it's like, hey, well, what do you have over here? It's like, well, you know, you got Paris Johnson over here. That guy's a first-round pick. What do you got? Oh, you got Donovan Jackson over there. He looks like a first-round pick. You got Dewan Jones. He looks like that. Oh, how many first-round? And at the in the middle is this guy who was a big-time recruit. And, I mean, is great. Like is, is like, oh, like I'm seeking out videos to make myself more angry i'm sitting there eating lunch and i'm watching the michigan game and it's making my blood boil i think about desmond howard every day i know what you're getting at steven that like <laughs> luke whippler and he's not an ohio guy but i, I don't know if we want to say it but like he's he is like he's fully crazy. invested and it's it and it's the it's the manifestation of the thing that you heard about Luke Whipple early, which is like, hey, the national, we just had our bowl game, and mm-hmm. Luke Whippler's in watching film and texting his coach at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. the next morning. Like, you knew that part of it. But now that he's playing, Stephen, and he's confident in himself, he's not just maniacal about his dedication to the film study. He's maniacal about, like, motivating himself to, like, go out and avenge anything, any slight that he perceives, which is not everybody does that, but it's kind of fun. It's crazy, but in like the best way possible as an offensive line. Yeah. And to be honest with you, if I'm CJ Stroud, I want the people protecting me to be crazy. He's crazy. Cage Stover is crazy. I think Tommy Eichenberg might be a little crazy too, because if you're grunting at your coach that much, you're 
I don't think you're crazy. We should do that. An all crazy Ohio State team, all time. And like, how many guys? <laughs> like it's from, a little tricky. <laughs> just from a football but, standpoint, not necessarily. But there's, there's guys. I think. I think like Dante Whitner was like that yes. way back in the day. Like Malcolm AJ Jenkins Hawk. was like that back in the day. There were just guys that it's like I don't. And I loved – those are my favorite guys. That's why yeah. I said my, Malcolm Jenkins is one of my favorite guys. When he's on the field, he's sort of like, you don't know what's going to happen because he is so filled with this kind of thing, right? The football side of him is so motivated and so, you know – but then, like, also, like, totally smart, fun guy, right? I mean, like, I, I, I love those guys who, when it comes to football, Nathan, like, they're just – they're all, they're almost off the edge, but they're also like completely wonderful citizens of the world when they're not talking or thinking about football. It feels like Whipler is sliding into this area. Well, I think he's a guy who says things that other guys probably think but don't have the confidence to say. But I think his confidence, you're right, it's manifest from all of that preparation that he puts in. Like you can tell that this is a guy, I, I don't get the sense that he's distracted by much. From football, I get the sense that Luke Whipler wakes up in the morning and it's just football, 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 football <laughs> until he goes to bed. And if he wakes up in the middle of the night, there's probably football in his mind. Like I just, he is locked into this and is is Ryan Day was talking today on the radio show about. He was asked a question that was actually more innocuous than this. It was about just like what you do on the road, and and he said that. The message to guys is that you should be exhausted when you go to bed. And he didn't just mean on the road. He means like in general right now. Like you've only got so many hours in a day. We're trying to be the best football team in America. You should be exhausted every day when you get home to go to bed because you have done done the absolute most that you can with every minute. And I think Luke Whipler would probably be on the short list of guys who epitomize that just from what we see and the people that we talk to. And it goes back, you know, Greg Stradrava was talking about it, like you said, that example after the national championship game. But it, it, it's, it's been unwavering, really, from the whole staff and from the players. And I think, again, he speaks with the confidence of someone who knows that he has a lot of people looking up to him right now. All right. What else do we want to cover? What else did people say this week? What did you learn? What was interesting that we want to make our wonderful Buckeye Talk listeners aware of? I want to give just – we should run to a quick injury update. The latest thing Ryan Day said today, and he was hesitant because I think he knows that he has spoken with optimism about guys, and then it gets to Saturday, and they don't play, and people think like, oh, you're, you're like jerking us around. But things change. He did speak with some optimism about – Tanner McAllister and Cam Martinez, because obviously Ohio State was down to its third string nickel safety against Rutgers. Uh, Kai Stokes. Putting Kai true Stokes, freshman. true freshman, on the field. And again, as much as we were saying Michigan State has some issues, you know, the farther down the depth chart you get, maybe their issues are a little bit less. You can complete a pass against Kai Stokes, could, but you can't complete against Tanner McAllister. Could Peyton Thorne throw for 200 yards against Ohio State's third string defense, right? That's what you're talking about. Like, yes. Maybe the answer yes. to that is yes. I think the answer to that is definitely yes. Now, we're, it's, it's only one third-string guy, not the whole team. But you, yes. So I, I think that's the oh, thing no, to keep man. an eye on. <laughs> we, we've Steven seen like some to... of the third-stringers play already this year. It's, it's like, is Sonny Styles a third-stringer? Is Sonny Styles a third-stringer? Like, I don't know. It's is Jair Brown yes. a third-stringer? Yeah, like, that's I'm, a, I'm not going to say that with an emphatic yes. Peyton Thorne's going to have 200 yards. 
We'll see. Real, what would be? Sure. What's their? Let's run through this real quick. I'm going to interrupt us to be weird. Based on their preseason depth chart, they're th- they're two corners, three safeties. Their third string defense would have been what coming into the season? Jair Brown and Ryan Turner at corner. Yeah, right. Kai Stokes at nickel safety. Apparently, but he wasn't playing nickel until last yeah, week. No, no, no. The way Jim Knowles. I would have said. Yeah, I think Kai Stokes is actually the third string adjuster. It's just they also didn't have Cam Martinez and Jansen right. Dunn. So, like, there's two people who were out. So, I'd probably put Jansen Dunn as third string nickel, uh, Kai Stokes as third string adjuster, and then Sonny Styles as third string bandit. But he's also Sonny okay. Styles, so he does whatever. I'd like to see that group against Peyton on Saturday. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Anyway. It's not Any just against, it's it's not just against, it's not just against Peyton it, Thorne. Or, it's also against Jade no, Reed. No, no. It's also against. No, I agree with that. But it's it's kind of like the thing early in the year when it was like in preseason. What, what who was it? Kevin Wilson's like my call. Kevin Wilson was like that guy's not a three about yeah. my call. It's like like you look at Sonny Styles like that guy's not a, three. not a three. So it I mean we understand why he's a three right now when he should be getting ready for his homecoming dance in high school and instead he played like the second series of the game against Wisconsin. But yeah, that guy's not a normal three. Okay, and, go ahead, Nathan. And, Sorry. And really, there's nothing that speaks more to the health of the Ohio state football program right now, relative to the standard that they want, that you can look at the third string and be like, Ooh, like that. You should be doing that every year. And I don't know how much they were doing that last year, even with like Mike Hall, it was still like at a distance. So uh, they are doing that more. So anyway, uh, who'd I say? Uh, Cam Brown was at practice. It looked like in some way yesterday, Denzel Burke and practice, although he just played, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Cam Babb, where practice Cam Babb no longer wearing that big brace on his left knee, at least mm-hmm. in the part, at least when we saw him yesterday. And Marvin Harrison Jr. spoke to, sounds like he is coming along. Who am I forgetting injury wise? Uh, Mark Jordan Camp. Hancock's still out, Mark? right? Hancock, yeah, Hancock, they already said, would be out through the bye week. So mm-hmm. uh, we saw Trevion Henderson look like he was walking more or less normal coming off the practice field, wasn't wearing his shoes. So I didn't know what that meant. Uh, Mayan Williams was wearing some kind of a knee thing uh, coming off the practice field on his right knee. So I don't know what that was. I wanted to bring this up. I know we talked these two guys to death in the last week. But this hit me today as we were talking, because Ryan Day's talking about Mayan Williams in a specific way right now. People are trying to ask a lot of, hey, isn't Mayan Williams great questions? And it's reminding me of Master Teague in 2019. When Master T kind of burst onto the scene as the backup guy who was like this guy, just a dump truck rolling through third string defenses, and people were like, oh, wow, how great. And Ryan Day was like like pulling the reins, like, whoa, like he's good. He's doing good things. Let's put it in perspective. And when I think I'd have to go back and listen, but like I think every time someone has brought up Mayan Williams this week, Ryan Day is very complimentary of Mayan Williams. I'm not jumping there. I think he thinks Mayan Williams is doing a great job. But his the first thing he says is it's the whole offense that's creating those running opportunities. The whole running game is like firing at all cylinders right now. And D- Doug, you and I talked about this a little bit when I went back and rewatched the game, that it wasn't like Mayan Williams breaking a lot of plays on his own. It was Mayan Williams hitting big holes at full speed and what that turns into. So he was asked directly today in the post in the lightning round Thursday whether Mayan will start in the next game and he definitely didn't say yes he definitely was like well it's <laughs> you know we'll we'll see how we bring, we do the shares we're gonna have to play from depth so I think Trevor Henderson starts against Michigan State I think he sees the same thing we do 
when it comes to Trevian Henderson and Mayan Williams. Okay. When we come back, time to make picks for Ohio State versus Michigan State. Ohio State favored by 26 and a half. The over-under total at 64 and a half. We'll make our picks next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. Time to make our picks for Ohio State, Michigan State, 4 p.m. kickoff on Saturday in Spartan Stadium. Stephen Means, what you got? 52 to 13, Ohio State wins. Um, I think Michigan maybe just scores a little bit more because at home, but that's literally just two field goals for them and a, and a touchdown for me. I think CJ Charles going to do whatever he wants. And I, I, whether, I don't think it'll be completely like last year where it's just six touchdowns in the first half and we're not even watching the second half. Maybe it's deep into the third quarter just because it is a road game, but I just don't see a world where Michigan State hasn't stopped anybody with a competent pass game this year. I don't think the first one they're going to stop is the one who might be the best in the country. And that's one of those I could argue even like 52 is that's borderline stop. That's borderline stopping them given what Ohio State can do. The 52 is more just maybe it's 42 to nothing at halftime. They score twice in the second half, and then Ryan Day does what he always does and never does yeah. more than he has to do to win a game. So that is uh, you're giving the 26 and a half. You'll take Ohio State there, and you are barely over the total, yeah. 64 and a half. You've got him at 65. So you're Ohio State minus the points and the over. Nathan Baird, what you got? So I was very close to continuing my trend of taking the opponent and giving the points and getting the points and taking the under, but – the more I thought about it, I think that when you look at some of the analytics, a, a lot of last year's stuff is still baked into those for Michigan State. I think this might be about the last week. Some of that hasn't been flushed out. So I'm going to take Ohio State 49, Michigan State 16. So I guess that would still be under? That still be under? You said it was 65 and no, a half? You're, you're, no, it's 64 and a half. You're barely and a half. over. Okay. So you, I'll and, take... you and Steven are both right at 65. Yeah, right at 65 and then a 33-point spread. So I'll give the points for Ohio state. I, much of my analysis here for what it's worth is the same thing. Steven is saying like, this is arguably the best passing defense, passing offense in the country playing the one of the worst passing defenses in the country. And I do think that maybe some pride kicks in for Michigan state in a game like this, and they have something to prove and that helps. And Ohio state's going on the road for the first time, whatever. There's, they're still just way, way, way better. Same. 49-17. So, like, we're all – I we're one point off, Nathan. I'm 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 more on the over because I'm one and a half points over the, the total, and you guys are only a half point over the total. I feel more confident about giving the points that I – you know, but I do feel pretty good about the over because I think 49-49 and 52 are as Ohio State totals for us, I think is conservative. I think we're, we're all pulling back a little bit on – they get up, maybe they take the the starters out, that kind of thing. Um, but I think they're capable of dropping a sixty three here, like sort of if they if everything comes together. So I, I really do like the over, but I agree with their, of all the analysis so far. So Stephen fifty two thirteen, Nathan forty nine sixteen, me forty nine seventeen. We're all given the points, and we're all barely taking the over. Those were our picks for Ohio State, Michigan State, and that's the end of this podcast. You guys can read everything we're writing at cleveland.com slash OSU. You can try the text at 614-350-3315. It's a 4 p.m. kick. The pod, the postgame pod will be up late, late Saturday night, 
Maybe it'll be up before midnight. We don't know. We got to get to our hotel and figure all that stuff out. Of course, you guys are also listening to the Gambling Pod that also drops every Friday with me and T. Shu on betting the Buckeyes here in this Buckeye Talk feed. Nathan, you got one more thing for us. I do, yeah. I wanted to give people an update on something. It's one of our friends of the pod. Uh, people may remember uh, Aaron Hake, who a couple years ago won our Buckeye Talk March Madness bracket. And this past yes. year, he came back and was an entry again, and he named his bracket the chemo dreamo because he was going through um colon cancer treatments uh, at a pretty young age like a guy who um just had a rough fight there and um, has been one of our loyal guys he sent me an update this week uh chemo has been done for a few months had a follow-up colonoscopy in august which came back clear and today so this was yesterday he sent this to me i had my follow-up cat scan which came back clear as well so he is cancer free whoa technically officially as of yesterday Let's which go. is Awesome news. And uh, awesome. I was so excited to hear that. I was walking out of the Woody and uh, was kind of floating out of the Woody when I read that because that's just uh, a guy that um, has been really nice. Like, this is a guy that went out of his way when my son was born. He, like, found my address on his own and sent me this. Um, I can't remember what you'd even call him now, like a sleep outfit for the baby because hmm. it had, his kid had loved it so much and it slept so well and he's like oh i think this will like help your son there's a guy who is going through so much on his own and yeah and takes makes that gesture and it really touched me and i'm i'm so excited so congratulations to aaron and um best wishes for um what's coming next for you from buckeye talk awesome that is a great update um we know that uh people listen to this podcast in good times and in bad and uh, I hope people feel like there's a, a, a bit of a community here and that if you got something tough going on, um, the people who care about Ohio State football and listen to this podcast uh, are there with you. So I, I hope, you know, that's that's a reminder. And if you've got something going on with yourself right now, you know, the people listening to this podcast care about the same things you do. And I do think that a lot of those people then also care about you. So if you're listening to this podcast, I hope you know if you're ever feeling uh, some, something rough is happening in your life or you're down a little bit or whatever, it's a reminder that there are a lot of people out there just like you who have the same passions, who have the same things that drive them, that that make them happy. And that's one of the best things about sports. It's one of the best things about passion for something like this. You really care about Ohio State football, and um, we are super excited for Aaron. So that's great news. Nathan, thanks for that update. And we will catch you guys on the Gambling Show with T-Shu and then on the post-game pod on late Saturday night for now. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.